Hello, and it's 2021, and this is Just Don't Kill Yourself Today podcast. Today we have a special guest. We're going to have Laura Boucher on the podcast today, and we're going to be talking about her life and songwriting and poetry. So listen up and enjoy. Thank you. You ready to jump into these questions? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. What is your full name? Laura Joan Green Boucher. No, no, I was born Laura Joan Green, but then my married name is Boucher. Boucher. Is that German, French? What is that? It's French. That's what I thought. Bam. Yeah. Yeah, like like my my name is William Farley Burge the fourth. Oh, you're the fourth. Yeah. Ooh, I've never known a fourth. I had a boyfriend that was the third. So where were you born? I was born in San Francisco, which I miss a lot. I do and I don't. I mean, we after I got married, we moved back to San Francisco, and I love it because it's so European. The hills, you know, just so hilly, and you can set the water right there, and but I don't like it because I suffered from really horrible anxiety attacks as a kid. So when we moved back there, I started getting those anxiety attacks again because it, it brought up all that stuff. Do you have any brothers and sisters? And if you do, tell me about them. I don't. Ah. I, I am an only child, and I would like to debunk the the saying that only children are spoiled because I was far from spoiled. I've always wanted brothers and sisters. And whenever, like when I was a kid and somebody would ask my mom, oh, are you going to have any more kids? She would just say, no, one's way more than enough. <laughs> and I'd be standing right there. I'd be like, hello, I can hear you. No brothers or sisters. I was a lonely kid. I did a lot of reading. Did you enjoy school? I did, you know, I enjoyed grammar school. I did really, really well in grammar school, but I was a very shy child. We moved to a place called South San Francisco, the industrial city. That's what it says on the hillside, (laughs) the industrial city. And when we moved there, everything went downhill. You know, I started a new school. I didn't have a bedroom. We moved to, I don't know why. Both parents were working, but we moved to a one-bedroom, which they had, and I had to sleep on a fold-out cot in the living room while my parents stayed up watching TV, drinking, smoking cigarettes, and laughing, and they wondered why I, you know, didn't do well in school, so I didn't get any (laughs) sleep. It kind of went downhill from there, and then uh, junior high became one of the cool kids, because my boyfriend was really cool, so I got in with the cool crowd, and and, but that was the only time. I mean, we did a lot of drugs. I mean, we were bad. We were like the badasses of the school. But when I went to high school, oh, a really traumatic thing happened. My boyfriend's sister shot and killed her boyfriend. She, I, she, she became schizophrenic. And um, I was very close with the family. Like, I lived with them for a while. Her boyfriend, Jimmy, was a drug dealer. And he was already out of school at that point. And he owed his dealer a lot of money that he, I don't know, he spent the money or used the drugs himself. I don't know what he did. But he found his, he was stayed with his grandparents. He found their gun, took Patty, the um, girlfriend, down to the basement, handed her the gun and said, please shoot me. And she did. She didn't know what she was doing. She said, I thought I was shooting up the wall. 
that's I saw her at the police station. Like, we were supposed to go to a party that night. And we were like, where's Jimmy? How come he's not picking us up? So Sonia said, give him a call and see where he is. And the police answered the phone. And they, they answered it, you know, South San Francisco police. And I hung up and I was like, why did you give me the number of the police station? She was like, I didn't give you that number. So I went down to the police station with them and I saw her in the bathroom, Patty, and she was just freaked out. I mean, she was just so out of it by then with schizophrenia. And so she wasn't charged with murder. Um, you know, she spent I probably the rest of her life in mental institutions. But, um, or whatever they're called now, he's politically correct, um, for the emotionally disturbed people. That made me freak out. And I, they were making fun of it. You know, kids can be really cruel. They're making fun of that. At high school, I stopped going because I couldn't deal with the joke because I was like so sensitive. I was like so close to this family and Jimmy, I stopped going and I got expelled from high school in 10th grade and I had to go to a continuation school, which was like where all the badass kids went that got kicked out of school, you know. But I did not fit in there at all. I was so shy and I was, I was like, I wouldn't talk to anybody, because I, not because I was cold, but because I was just so shy, you know. But that was my school experience. I just, I just had like some college, but I didn't, I didn't graduate or anything. How would you describe your childhood home? And you, you kind of described it with the, <laughs> with the one bedroom and parents smoking cigarettes. Uh, oh, they're insane. My, my parents are like certifiably insane. My mother's still alive. My father isn't. My father was pretty much on the borderline of being a genius and being totally nuts. Oh wow. And he was a very angry person, and he played beautiful classical piano that I believe he taught himself. Hmm. And my and his father had had his own ragtime band. Oh wow! Way back when, and he was a pianist, a pianist, however you say. It. So I just it was just kind of in my blood because I play guitar and piano. My parents were nuts. And they fought. It was horrible. It was it was very abusive household. It it was not fun. Not a good childhood. You're like I'm ready to get out of the house now. Uh, yeah, I, I could not wait. And she kicked me out. My mother. They got divorced. She hooked up with an ex hell's angel of all people, who moved in and hated my guts, and finally said to her, "It's your daughter or me." Wow. Pick. She chose him. And kicked me out at 14. Damn. And she made me go live with my father, who was very abusive. And then finally, I just moved in with my grandmother, who was the only halfway sane person in my family. So your grandmother raised you. Was that a better home, a safer home? Oh, yeah. It was just boring. Right. And it, it, But it was much safer. Oh, yeah. She loved me unconditionally. I love my grandmother so much. I wish she was still here on this earth. Who were your role models growing up? Well, all the junkies. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Like Neil Young, Janis Joplin, and I was totally in love with John Lennon. And, you know, and then later on when I got to be like, you know, 17, 18, it was like Patti Smith, Dave Bowie, Lou Reed, you know, people like that. Uh, Jim Carroll? Did you like Jim Carroll? 
I did because I wrote poetry and, and I, I have a fun story actually. I started writing Patty Smith. I was one of her first fans and she started writing me back. And she would send me postcards like from Amsterdam, wherever she was touring. Hmm. She would send me postcards and she called me Little Monkey and she'd always say, Hang in there, Little Monkey. And I'd send her my poetry and she actually got me published. Oh, wow. So that's, that's kind of a cool story there. But I've been getting back to poetry, actually. And I want, actually, I wanted to read you what I found that what I thought were lyrics. Uh-huh. But I think it's more of a poem. Okay. But I found this in the drawer from just like three years ago. I have no recollection of writing it. Can I read it to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it's called Grateful to the Angel. Okay. There's a dead man down by the river. Don't nobody do nothing to help him. If he were a woman, they'd rush to save her. Happily. Happily give her mask to mouth till she shivered, brought back from the dead, brain still intact in her head. She would thank them profusely. They tip their hats and hope that surely she would repay them with a kiss, one that goes on beyond bliss of anything they've ever felt before. There's a dead man. Oh, my voice. <laughs> There's a dead man down by the river. All they know is that he's gone forever. They gather and stare, now aware of their mortality, transfixed as if in a dream, hanging on to gravity. No recognition, never seen him before. Perhaps he came for the house of whores. Red lights on, men ready to score. The prettiest girl there who never acts bored. The one with red hair, petite, with perfect breath. She outranks all the others, far superior to the rest. They've all had her before, always coming back for more. The working class town, blue collar all around. The wives of dinner, changing diapers. The men feel trapped, sentenced like lifers. There's a dead man down by the river. Eyes glazed over, his body's warm blue. The men disperse, not quite knowing what to do. They head back to the bar, pretending it's not true. The dead man down to the river, lies and looks for someone to free him. The angel of death swoops down from heaven, and all these long years he's not been forgotten. Away floats the dead man down by the river. His life is no more. He's grateful for that. He's grateful for that. Yes, he's grateful for that. The end. The end. <laughs> this is a long one. <laughs> But I, I like it because it's like a story, you know? Yeah. And you could turn that into a song, you know, because there are a lot of what I call story songwriters. Oh, uh, Nick Cave. Yeah. Yeah. They're great. Amazing. I'm proud of that one. That's my favorite right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to put it to music. It'll get there. If it's meant to be, it'll happen. Oh, what's funny is a friend, my friend and myself, my best friend back then, Kelly, She's still my best friend because we're so close. We were like sisters because we were both only kids and lived next door to each other. But we started Lou Reed fan club to meet each other, like through the mail. And I met all these musicians in Boston. And I was like, I've got to get away from here because the anxiety attacks were through the roof. So I met somebody 
came to visit, who was traveling, who was a musician from Boston, and he was playing with Jonathan Richmond. And he came to the door, and it was just weird. I opened the door, and there's there he is. I'm like, oh, I know you from your picture. Why are you here? <laughs> so I ended up moving back east and living with him for a long time. But that was a very abusive relationship also. And I have a lot of uh, really weird stories. Like he tried to drown me in the bathtub. And wow. I mean, it's crazy, crazy stuff going on. But he taught me how to play guitar and piano. Oh. He taught me chords and... That's how I became a musician, yeah. You know, there's uh, always a, a positive part to every relationship, right? Something. Yeah, I, I would hope so. <laughs> so uh, what books or people were a big influence in your life? Was there, there like a book that you read and you were like, okay, I want to do music or I want to write poetry? Like what, what really influenced you? Oh, yeah. Well, Patti Smith's poetry, her yeah. first book, Seventh Heaven, mm-hmm. I love. And... Because of her, I got into Rambo and Baudelaire and all those guys. But, I mean, when I was 12, I read Rosemary's Baby of all books. Oh, wow. (laughs) Because I stayed up all night. I couldn't put it down. I just read it from cover to cover. So I was was a weird kid. I was really into, like, the Twilight Zone and Albert Hitchcock and, like, this weirdness. But definitely... Patti Smith's poetry really, really influenced me. And Bowie, uh, I love his lyrics so much. Lou Reed, you know, all those guys, old school. Those those are the basics of people. And I, I don't know about books. I think Seventh Heaven would have to be it. So when you were growing up, like, what magazines did you read? Like, I read Cream and I read... Uh... <gasps> Yeah. That's so funny. You said that. Did you, did you know of of a magazine called Rock Scene? No, no. Never heard of it. I That was my favorite. That's where Patty got my poetry published. And Rock Scene. She was in like every every issue of it. Because Lenny Kay was one of the editors of the magazine. So he definitely was Rock Scene. But yeah. Now I love like Italian Vogue. And I love European magazines. They're so much better. What did you want to be when you grew up? Six Case Wise and PJ Harvey's girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm half serious. But <laughs> as a kid growing up, this sounds really sick and warped, but I had a thing for, for heroin addicts. I thought it was so cool to be a junkie. And I, I shit you, this is horrible. I'm being brutally honest here. Yeah. I wanted to be a junkie. Isn't that like the sickest thing though? I mean, what kid wants to be a junkie? What's wrong with you? You know, it's like, boy, I have crazy parents. I was brought up, you know, my mother, my mother was my first drug dealer. Oh man. (laughs) Pills, lots and lots of pills. It was like a self-fulfilling prophecy there. So yeah, definitely. But I want, you know what? I wanted to be a musician besides that. I wanted to be a junkie musician. Yeah. 
I mean, you've got to laugh at it. It's so sick. But I'm not being a musician. That's the other part. I mean, I used to drum on everything. I still do. Like, if I'm in the car at a stop sign, I'm, like, drumming on my, my steering wheel and, you know, with my hands and... Uh-uh. I used to play the drums a little bit. I mean, if you can stay in rhythm, that's amazing. Because I tend to speed up and slow down playing guitar. Just n- n- not that much, but enough so it's noticeable. Like by the end of the song, it's going... <laughs> <laughs> but it's hard for me to keep that steady rhythm. So when did you last cry? You know, um, they show those commercials, the SPCA and Humane Society, like the animals are shivering in the cold, and I break down, and I, I just broke down and saw. I mean, for one thing, I, I can't stand to see animals suffer at all, you know, whether it be the elements or abuse from a human or another animal. You know, but yeah, that that was a couple of weeks ago, and that's why, because because of the animals that are out there that need us so much. Do you have a spiritual practice that you do daily? Do you have any spiritual things you do when you wake up or before you go to bed? I try. I really, really try to meditate twenty minutes a day. I am not successful at it every day, but it helps me so much. Because I'm very psychic, and it really brings out my psychic abilities, but it calms me down. And it also, uh, during the day, if I'm doing this on a daily basis, I will get, and you hear people talk about the the natural high, I will get that. It's like, I don't need drugs. This is great. I can just, like, meditate every day, and I'll just, boom, my brain will just be like, so high for a couple minutes and then it'll just kind of fade away but it's very cool so i try and meditate i i yoga i think painting is oh yeah one of my spiritual practices painting really helps to get my emotions out you know and to deal with them and writing you know writing songs and lyrics poetry all that stuff but you know what the best songs in my opinion the best songs are the ones that write themselves. Yeah. In like 15 minutes, boom, they're done. And it's so cool when that happens. I just believe anything that you force, you break. Ah, yeah. You're right. Absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about this psychic thing. I, I just picked that up. When did you feel like you had some psychic power or energy or whatever you want to call it? Well, okay. The first time I saw my great-grandfather, who I'd never met, who died way before I was born and I was in Boston and I saw a reflection we had a very old apartment that and in a, there was a reflection in the glass of this man with red hair dressed in old-fashioned clothes and with like a very old-fashioned hat on I um told my grandmother about it she said oh my god that's my father I was like, whoa. And my mother and I used to do the Ouija board, which I don't suggest anybody ever fool around with. But when my mother and I do it, that thing goes flying. And we can't keep up with it. Because we we both have that psychic energy. And my grandmother, she was incredibly psychic. 
we talked to my great-grandfather, whose name is Tom, and he spells out, he does these loop-de-loops on the board. Mm-hmm. It loops all over before it stops at a letter. And I'm not kidding. We can't keep up with the thing. It's flying on its own almost on the board. Wow. And sometimes it is because we can't, we don't know where it's going to go when our hands are like trying to follow it. Um, and he said, you know, I like hanging out with you because it's never boring. I thought that was really funny. That was the first time I think I really realized it. Like a lot of times I know what song is going to be played next if I happen to be listening to a, a radio like Sirius and the I listen to in the car, um, or I'll know what somebody's going to say before they say it, or I'll think of somebody and they call, you know, I mean, things like that. But the more I meditate, the more extreme it becomes. And sometimes it scares me a little bit because it's so like, oh, oh, I just remember this. I used to put out street lights, And when I was a kid, I stopped time, literally, hmm. on my wrist only of course right i could not wear watches because of my um electrical field um if i put a watch on it would just stop dead any type of watch and then when i was younger like in my 20s if i was upset for any reason or just going through something i was feeling very emotional i've every street light i walked by would go out i just weird things like that i've seen ghosts I, but they don't scare me. I don't believe that they're here to hurt us. To me, I feel like it's leftover energy, kind of, from the people that used to live there. Or maybe they're in between worlds, and they, they're not, they don't feel ready to move on yet to the next world, to the whatever's waiting for us when we die. I mean, my, that whole side of my family is like scary psychic. What do you do to comfort yourself when you're sad or upset? Like, how do you put yourself back together again? You know, I I think crying is really good for the soul. Mm-hmm. It gets a lot out. And it's a lot of stuff that people, everybody, keeps bottled up. Mm-hmm. You know, we keep all our emotions just bottled up because you can't walk around and just, like, tell somebody to pop because you don't like what they're wearing <laughs> right. that day or you know you can think it <laughs> but i mean you know like we keep all these things bottled up and just a good cry is like one of the best things for me anyway tell me about your musical journey and writing and where it it took you that, that whole journey uh, a journey of being in music well when i moved to boston through a friend that went to england he was a, an amazing musician. He was like 18 years old. And he came back from England saying, you know, guys, there's all these people over there, all these musicians putting their own stuff out. And you don't need to be signed to a label. So this was like, this was in the 80s. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So he was like, let's do that. So that's how I got started. And it was called, our label was called Propeller. Mm-hmm. And we all owned it jointly. Mm-hmm. And we would um, play benefits to raise money for the recording and put out compilations. So um, we did, you know, I did that and I joined a band through, also through my friend Michael Padahini. He got me to be in a band with um, 
I don't know if you have you heard of Italian fetish. Probably not, but mm, no, no. She's, she's got her own little following, but um, I should say little. She's got her own following, and she, back then she was very young. Also, she was probably like nineteen years old, and I was maybe twenty, twenty-one or something. And it, it was all girls. It was the four of us. And what sucked was everybody called us the Go-Go's. We were nothing like the Go-Go's. Mm. You know? And it's just because of the time. Right. The time it was, you know? But it was a great time to be in a band in Boston because everybody helped everyone out. Like, Mission of Burma. Yeah. Was a, uh, oh, you know them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I used to live with one of them was my boyfriend. Well, which one was that? <laughs> Martin, Martin Swope. He did the tape loop uh-huh. and all the sounds and stuff. He wasn't on stage. He was in the background doing all those loops you hear that are going on. And um, they really helped us. We were called Dangerous Birds, and it really had nothing to do with, you know, English chick birds, you know. Mm-hmm. It, but but we thought of, like, big pterodactyl birds. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Um, but it was so much fun, and you know, Tally and I did the, the songwriting, and and Mark and Karen were in the band, and we it was we had so much fun. We opened for the birthday party. We opened so many amazing bands. Wow, that's and, great. And um, and you know, we toured the East Coast, and but you know, nothing really happened. And after a couple years, we just kind of went our own ways. But I'm still very close friends with with them and they are my best friends in the world and um and then i started doing stuff on my own recording with other people you know people say oh you know i've got this song and i don't have any lyrics for it do you think you come up with something and you know do you want to sing it you know i do stuff like that go in the studio and pull around i love doing studio stuff i i don't like playing out live because i get so nervous in front of people but in the studio, I'm, it's like that's my home away from home. I'm so comfortable there. So when we moved to after I met Mark, my husband, who was an artist, and he was actually he was still in art school when we met, got married. We moved out to San Francisco, and in San Francisco, I met this person, Baby Farragher, who was in John Hyatt's band. And used to be in Cracker and Camper Van Beethoven. And uh, I was working on a demo, and he loved it. And he wanted to get into producing it. And I was like, well, let's do something with it. Because he had a little, I think it was an eight-track studio set up in his garage. And him and the drummer, who was also with John Hyatt, they were amazing musicians. They played on, on the demo, and he produced it. And it came out great. And I got signed to a little label here. It used to be called Bizarre Straight. And they owned, they were horrible, horrible, horrible. Somebody warned me, do not sign with them. You are signing with the devil. They literally said that. And I said, no, but then the nephew, it's, it's not the, the old guy anymore that owns it. If he's changing it. He's changing the name to Manifesto. And, you know, the arms are going to have more control and... You know, it's not going to be like a regular label. What happened was, you know, I got signed to that. We moved down here with the advance money. We bought a car and all that. The guy who signed me ended up being an opium addict. Oh, man. And, 
<laughs> and he was stealing all this money from the label. And oh, what I wanted to say about them was when they were Bizarre Straits, they owned all of Tom Waits' early, early stuff. Oh, wow. early, early songs. They have all the publishing rights. Oh, man. And, and Frank Zappa. And they totally screwed both of them over. Mm. That's why I was warned not fine with them. So when it was found out that the company was being, you know, stolen from for this guy's opium habit, he was fired and the last three people he signed were punished for his eviction, if that makes sense. And yeah, and we weren't able to do anything. I was supposed to go to England and do like solo shows and then like supposedly you know, go to Europe with the band, and blah, blah, blah. Nothing happened, nothing at all. And I fell into the worst depression of my life for like a year. It, it was bad because I was like, oh, finally, I was so happy. I was just like, yes, I did it, I did it. And boom, everything fell apart. It's like, you know, the floor just fell, fell down or like disintegrated beneath me. And now I'm writing again. You know, I don't just do it for myself. I have fun with it. I have a friend that has a recording studio, and I go there and record stuff. And um, he produces it and engineers it. And I have another friend who's an engineer, and we're going to collaborate on some stuff. And so I just do it. It's just fun. I just have a lot of fun with it now. What advice would you give the kids today? Oh, those young rappers. I don't know. I'd say put your goddamn phones down and pick up the guitar or a book. Yeah. Stop texting. You know, <laughs> that's not life. That's not, you know, interact in person. You know, I know now we're in a pandemic, but wear your mask, keep your distance, but, you know, do it, be in person. You don't have to do everything over the phone and through texting and don't do drugs. That's one of my big things because, I found out the hard way. Yeah, yeah. I do not mess around with them because they will they will eat you alive. It's fine for a while, but you know, when it takes a hold of you, it it's got you good. And it's not fun going through that. Going through withdrawals is not piece of cake. Well, we're going to end this out. What do you want to say? Is there, um, usually I always let my guests, uh, you have like a website or do you have anything that you want to promote or something that, you know, is there a record, you know, like, do you have anything you want to, uh, I hate that word plug, but is there anything you want to, you know, yeah. No, I don't know. I hate plugging myself. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Okay. I would plug Nick Cave and DJ Harvey because I love them. I think they are the best songwriters. You know, I saw, I'll tell you this really quick. Yeah. I saw Nick Cave at um, the Disney Center where he did a question and answer mm. and a solo performance at the piano. Wow. And it was incredible. I mean, anybody could ask him a question and he would pick you, you, yeah, you. And my question, I kept raising my hand. I was in the second row. I was like, please, please pick me. But, of course, I'm trying to act all cool. I'm over here. <laughs> you know, I'm trying not to be, like, over eager, like, me, me, me. 
But my question was, do, do you really do you believe in God and Jesus? Because you you write a lot about Jesus hmm. and God and, and very spiritual stuff. And do you, you know, do you believe that there actually really is a God and that there actually is a Jesus? And somebody else asked my question for me because hmm. he didn't pick me. He, but he just said, I don't know. And I thought that's the best answer you could have given because we don't know. Yeah. You know, nobody knows. So I would plug them. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. Oh, and Thank uh, you so much, Farley. I, this was so fun. And you're my first podcast for 2021, so um, oh, help me get cool. back. I was a little in a rut. Yay. I was I was a little little depressed, and I it, it was good that you were like, "Come on, come on!" I'm like, "Okay, okay, okay." You I, know, know, I, I needed I'm that. Ready now. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. I'm back. I think it's been hard for a lot of people to get back into things. You know, it's just mm-hmm. with this pandemic. It's just and tough. when you stop doing something, it is very hard to go back to it sometimes. Yeah. yeah Definitely. Yeah. Well, I hope I see you around, and I thank you so much, and this is so enjoyable. I had the best time, and I loved talking with you. Excellent, and have a beautiful night, and we'll be in touch. Okay. More details. All right. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, Farley. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye.